It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Historically, domestic violence programs have been centered around the victim, with women's refuges and helplines all designed to provide support. But what if there was a way not just to protect the victims, but to stop their abusers? I love prevention. And I always think if we can do prevention work, then we can hopefully reduce the amount of people that need a victim survivor service. Now, there's a push to challenge the perpetrators. And that starts with understanding them. It is often a cycle of behaviour. It's a pattern that has developed in a particular relationship and you need to see it as that rather than this person is a lost cause and is, is evil through and through. Early next year, the government is set to release its domestic abuse strategy and one pillar of that will be dealing with perpetrators. But how do these programmes work and can abusive men really change? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, can working with abusive men cut violence against women? It was whilst covering the murder of Sarah Everard that Rosie Kinchin, a Sunday Times feature writer, first heard about perpetrator intervention programmes. She was writing about male violence and what could be done to stop it. It's a subject she explored further for a recent feature in the Sunday Times magazine. Rosie was allowed to listen in to call us to a confidential phone line run by the charity Respect, which helps the people calling in, most often men, to address their abusive behaviour. So I listened in to the phone line for five days to the Respect phone line, which is operated for people who are worried about their own behaviour, so perpetrators of abuse. It it was quite kind of haphazard in the sense that some days were quite quiet and other days were incredibly busy. Some people were just ringing non-stop and I found quite often the calls were backing up and people were waiting for really quite long times to be able to speak to somebody. Sometimes they were family members who were worried about relatives, but most of them were men calling up about their own abusive behaviour. What sort of men were ringing in? Um, There were all sorts. It's a um, confidential phone line, so they're not required to give in any details, but they tend to just over the course of the conversation because they're talking in an open and quite desperate way. Um, But most had jobs. They were quite a few. There were teachers, nurses, people in healthcare. One of them worked in a restaurant. There was a guy who was a builder. So there's just all sorts, really. There isn't a type. There were young 
there were older worried about so one of the guys I listened to called because he had been abusive in his marriage and now his sons who are now teenagers were showing signs of aggressive behavior and he was calling for advice on how to make that stop because he was sort of aware that his own behavior had probably contributed to it there were quite a few who were just calling because they were desperate I mean they just didn't know they were calling because they didn't know what else to do were you surprised by by anything that they said by by the things that you were hearing I think I was surprised that they were calling in the first place and then I was surprised because they're they're quite emotionally coherent. They were trying to understand what was happening in their relationship and why they were behaving like this. I think most of those people calling would not have characterised themselves as violent people. And I think that they were struggling to understand themselves why this was happening in their relationship and were at a loss as to what to do about it. So they were they were very kind of open and in a way that I don't... You don't hear men talking like that very often. I mean, even the ones that I know and love <laughs> don't always talk in that open a way. And perhaps there's something to do with it being an anonymous phone line and it being a stranger on the end of it. But there was a lot of candid emotions going on. For the call handlers, you know, you are trying to get somebody in a sort of a vulnerable position because they're calling you for help. You're trying to get them to trust you and to engage in a programme at the same time, the sort of things they're calling for are hard to sympathise with. Is it difficult for them? How do they tread that line? Do they have to sort of be as friendly as they can be? Or I was very impressed, actually, by how they, they handled it. I think that um, it will depend on the cord that the caller is taking. So there were some instances where I think a, a typical perpetrator response is to fall back on, she knows how to push my buttons, she winds me up, you know, like those sorts of tropes. And they're very good at calling those out and saying, no, the only person who's responsible for your behaviour is you. And you can walk away from the situation. You cannot be violent. That's always your choice. And, you know, they're very good at, at taking that kind of level-headed approach to it. But they also, you're right, they have to listen and engage enough to say, it sounds as though you're someone who could benefit from this kind of work. Part of the role of the phone line is to create a pathway for people calling in to find long-term programmes that can help to stop their behaviour. Have you heard about these programmes? This will help you whatever happens in this relationship. This will help you in future relationships. You know, they also, incidentally, they also have to, have to of course, worry about the safety of the people who are immediately around these people. So they also would ask questions like, if a situation like that happens, can you remove yourself? Can you go to a hotel? Is there another address that you can go to? when you feel a situation might be escalating and you you are worried about your own behaviour. Rosie put us in touch with a case manager for DRIVE, which works slightly differently to some perpetrator programmes as it works with serial offenders and those who pose a risk of causing their partner serious harm. My name's Lorraine and I work for the DRIVE project. How long have you been doing that? Not long at all, actually. For six months now. How long have you been in this sort of sector generally? Oh, much longer than six months. So over 10 years. Yeah, so domestic abuse sector has definitely played a big part in my career. And you've been working with victims for years now. Mm. And, you know, I can imagine that's quite harrowing at times. And, you know, you really do see how much people suffer. Has it been hard making the switch, going and working with perpetrators instead. Yeah, it has been. I mean, that's quite a, a headspin. 
Yeah, it is. It really is. <laughs> and I think coming over to this side, in the beginning, I was just, I just, I didn't know how I was going to deal with working with someone who I knew was responsible for such horrendous things. And because I used to work in A&E, mm. in a major trauma centre in London, I would work with victims who came in as a result of domestic abuse and I would see some horrendous things. Yeah. And then to now put a face to the person who may have done that horrendous thing was initially hard and I wasn't sure, you know, how I'd react, but you know, you get you get used to it really. And when you realize how important the role is, then you just throw yourself into it and you go for it. For me, Whilst I love supporting victims, you know, I, I really enjoy that. It's obviously needed. We need more services out there for victims and survivors. But I, I love prevention. And I always think if we can do prevention work, then we can hopefully reduce the amount of people that need a victim survivor service. I feel that when I'm working with the perpetrators, I'm helping more than just one person. Not only am I helping the perpetrator, I'm helping the victim survivors, but also other victim survivors as well and potential ones. Because if you have someone who has a history of domestic abuse and they've got six victims behind them, then you know that the next relationship is very likely to be abusive mm. and that will be victim number seven. And then they'll go on victim number eight. Mm. And... I also believe that we need to get to the root of the problem, you know, and that is the perpetrators, unfortunately. So why not put in effort to work with them to try and change the course of, of their behaviour? And for you, when you're talking to people who are perpetrators, when you're sort of trying to help them, you have to get them to engage. So obviously you've got to be quite sort of open and, you know, somebody they can trust. Is it quite hard to work out how to talk to them. You know, in a way, when, when you're dealing with victims, it's different. You know, you're, you can be automatically sympathetic. Mm -hmm. Is it quite hard for you as a person to work out how to engage with them? But also, I mean, do you find yourself feeling sympathetic? How does it affect you? Yeah, it is, it is hard because, as you said, with working, you know, on the victim side, you're very much, okay, you know, I believe you, you know, sorry that this has happened very much on their side in that sense you know you want to support them help them through it when it comes to working with perpetrators whilst you want to be empathetic to certain situations it's hard because you have to be mindful that sometimes they may not be completely honest and you always have to think to yourself okay is this person telling the truth right now are they trying to minimize the abuse it is, it is quite hard because you're constantly, you're wanting to fully believe and fully engage in that way, but you also have to have that at the back of your mind, mm. that this person might be twisting things. Working with perpetrators of domestic abuse can be a tricky line to tread. But, we're told, automatically seeing them as villains isn't the most helpful way to understand the problem or to help solve it. One of the um, experts who I spoke to said that it is often a cycle of behaviour, like these people are not violent in other walks of life. It's a pattern that has developed in a particular relationship and you need to see it as that rather than 
this person is a lost cause and is, is evil through and through and there's nothing you can do about it. One woman is killed every three days in the UK and six out of ten are killed by someone they know, often a current or a former partner. Lockdown has been a hothouse for breeding and accelerating domestic abuse. Between April and June last year, calls to the National Domestic Abuse Helpline rose by 65%. But these perpetrator programmes have been shown to be a real success. Project Mirabel was a five-year investigation into 11 different perpetrator programmes in the UK, and it showed that 12 months after perpetrators started the programme, the proportion of women injured as a result of violence fell from 61% to just 2%. So how do these programmes do it? So the idea behind them is that the perpetrator needs to acknowledge responsibility for their behaviour. So they need to accept that what they're doing is wrong. And then from there, they work around different aspects that typically cause violence to escalate, like jealousy or isolation. And they'll get the perpetrators to share. Often it happens in a group setting. So the men will, or and, and it's not always men, so there are perpetrator programmes for women, will share their own experiences. And the person running the course will put strategies in place to help them stop that behaviour to make sure that they're not harming anyone in in the immediate duration of the course. They'll also work with them. There's aspects of CBT and different kinds of therapeutic approaches all combined to try and teach them methods for controlling emotion, of managing anger, teaching them different responses that aren't violent ones. It's quite a gentle process in the sense that if you try and force someone into a corner and tell them and berate them for their behaviour, then you're not, they're not going to be receptive to change. But you can listen. I mean, talk us through what these sessions look like. What is the process you're putting them through? So it's really specific and unique to the individual. There are perpetrator programmes out there where it's very structured. You know, so week one, you're doing this, week two, you're doing that. But with DRIVE, it's really about where that person is and where they are on the cycle of change. If they are at pre-contemplation, so they they don't even think anything's wrong, then I'm going to have to work with them in a different way compared to if they were um, at contemplation. They know something's wrong, not quite ready to to change, but they know there's a problem. Do you see what I mean? So there's mm. the difference between how people... Um, start on the program and where they are. So is the first so stage just understanding the it, problem for them um, for them it, to understand? It could be, or sometimes I have to go in a completely different route. So we work a lot with agencies. So we we you know we're we're all about multi agency working. So we have connections with children's social care, the police, probation, substance misuse services, health. So across the range, if we get a referral. And I know that this person is connected to children's social care because maybe there are children involved and there's domestic abuse in the in the family. I will approach it maybe from, you know, let's look at how we can be better parents. So it just depends on how they come in. Sometimes it's not appropriate just to say, OK, well, you know, we're working with you because we think you're a high risk, high harm perpetrator of abuse. That's not going to go down well. So we have to start with where they're at. 
And if they say they love their kids, they want nothing but the best for their children, then we have to say, okay, well, fatherhood is obviously something that's really important to you. Let's look at how behaviours can affect children, for example. Only 1% of perpetrators are actually receiving any kind of structured intervention. Right now, there are only 24 accredited organisations offering these perpetrator programmes in the whole country. But that may soon change. The government is publishing its first perpetrator strategy early next year, and there appears to be a greater recognition of the need for a two-pronged approach, both victim-supporting and focusing on the perpetrators too. I think there's, there's a sense that quite a few different things need to change. The sector is hugely underfunded. The, the provision is very patchwork. I mean, a lot of the calls that I heard, men were calling for help and were being told that the nearest programme was miles away. One of the guys I, I listened to was saying that, you know, I work shifts, I've got a 14-year-old, I'm a single dad, I've got a 14-year-old son, I can't, I can't get to that. It's hopeless that there are situations like that coming up. You know, it's no good having programmes that target high-risk, high-harm perpetrators in one part of the country when you've got a proliferation of dangerous and abusive men in a different part of the country. And then I think there's a sense that that the problem is bigger than just the provision of perpetrator programmes. You also need people to be better able to identify perpetrators and to engage with them across lots of different services. So whether that's GPs or social work, that they can engage with a perpetrator and know that these programmes exist, what the steps should be about trying to get someone into one of these programmes. A lot of people in the public, people who might actually benefit from these programmes, probably don't know that they exist. And they're not talked about much. You hear much more about the victim-supporting programmes, which obviously do an an amazing job and are, are hugely important in the process. But why do you think it is that these perpetrator programmes are so little talked about? I think there's a sort of lingering discomfort with the idea of engaging with violent people. It's seen as, you know, you're you're offering them a soft touch, especially when funding is very tight across the whole sector and there's not enough money going towards victims of abuse. It, It sort of instinctively makes people feel quite defensive and angry. And I think that we have tended to view violence against women by looking at women rather than by looking at the people who are actually doing that violence against women. And that's only just starting to change. Lorraine has seen the benefits of this approach and is a passionate believer in what it can achieve. But her job brings its own distinct set of challenges too. I haven't been afraid for my safety and you definitely need a bit of a thick skin to do this job. You know, it's definitely not for everyone. But we usually meet our clients in safe places. You know, if we're in a building, then there's security. We do all the the things that you would do to make sure that you're safe. You sit by the door, you make sure that your team knows where you are and how long you're going to be there for, all these things. But there there hasn't been been a time where I I felt unsafe. Maybe concerned, but, but not unsafe. Even though it's such a horrendous, you know, you're reading horrendous things, you're hearing horrendous things, but I, I do love my job. When I have my clients send me messages saying, I feel like I'm in a much better place having come to your sessions. I'm like, oh, great. I'm so happy to read that. You know, that's not a text message. You know, they didn't have to send that. It's something they've obviously thought of and wanted to share. And comments like, you know, I don't know what I'll do without without this project. And just one of the highlights for me is when I have clients start to believe in themselves. So 
a lot of them think that they can't change mm. and they attend the program, but there's still that doubt within them that oh, I'm, just, I'm just bad, right? I, I can't, this is who I am. And months later, there's a situation where they think, oh, actually, I can change. I believe it now because I can see, I can see that I'm changing. You know, for them, that's huge. It feels new and innovative. But where did this approach come from? We'll be back after this. Hi, I'm Emily Dugan, social affairs correspondent at The Sunday Times. It's you, listeners and subscribers, who enable me to investigate. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. If you subscribe today, you can enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. I mean, this is this feels like sort of such a revolutionary approach to to the problem. Where has it come from? So the idea of engaging with perpetrators of domestic abuse, it, it's been around for years, for decades. It originated in Duluth in Minnesota in the 1980s. There had been some terrible murder case in the city where a young woman had killed her much older husband and it turned out over the course of the trial that he had been abusing her and it was well known to the police and to the hospital services and and no one had done anything. It had just been sort of dismissed and the jury refused to indict her. And at that moment, Ellen Pence, who's a feminist campaigner, arrived on the scene and suggested that they try a different approach to dealing with domestic violence incidents, which they accepted. It meant that the firstly, the police would prioritise domestic violence cases rather than dismissing them um, as just another domestic. And then in each one, every time one of them happened, an incident took place, there would be a panel of professionals from people in police, in housing, in mental health, in all the different sectors that would be relevant, would come together and they'd discuss how to keep the victim safe and they would discuss the perpetrator and what could be done about him. And then the perpetrator would also go through a court-mandated program, a re-education program. 
And this Duluth model, as it's known from from the place where where it was um, founded, it has since then been exported out to all sorts of parts of the world and it's really evolved. I mean, tell me how it's changed. Yeah, so in its original form, the Duluth model, and it still exists and runs, is based on a feminist idea. So the idea is that it's the patriarchy that allows men, you know, men have a sense of entitlement and violence is their way of trying to assert that entitlement in the home. And that, you know, the the only way to deal with that is to tackle those fundamental patriarchal views. And over the years, that's changed. And I mean, I think that's partly, it's partly evidence-based that that's changed, but different countries have also gone in different directions, which has allowed people to observe what works and what doesn't work. Um, So for example, in Sweden, they will take a very psychological approach to domestic abuse, where abusers are all treated by psychologists and who will, you know, who will approach it from that angle. And so what we've ended up with in this country is a bit of a mix, which will have a bit of, you know, the, the history of the patriarchy in there. But it will also have, as we've discussed, cognitive behavioural therapy. It will also have some, you know, some more therapeutic and sort of motivational aspects. Has it changed the way you look at the dynamic, effectively, in domestic abuse? Yeah, absolutely. Because before working with perpetrators, when you're you're victim-focused in those sorts of agencies, the perpetrators seem to be this abstract Thing. you know they're all the same mm. they do all these horrible things and they're just all the same they're the same type of person and coming over to the other side I've seen well actually you know these uh, yeah they might do similar things but there's there's different stories behind here and and why they do it so there's never one explanation as to why domestic abuse happens and to say that there's only one reason so for example you might hear people say it's because men hate women So therefore, domestic abuse happens. Whilst that is a big part of it, you know, in terms of gender inequality and that side, there are other reasons as well. We we can't just limit domestic abuse just to one thing. And it's interesting to see the other side. And it's just about unpicking that and seeing, okay, why are you behaving in this way? Some people know exactly what they're doing. And I've had people tell me, you know, I don't I don't see a red mist, Lorraine. I don't I don't lose control. I know exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. And when when you hear that, I'm that, just like, okay. That must be yeah, quite hard to hear. It is hard to hear, but it's the reality. They do know what they're doing. Then you have others who like the level of conscious intent is is different. You know, it's more impulsive. So they say, oh, I don't know what happened or, you know, I just I just lashed out. And whilst it's not a case of they just lost control and they couldn't help themselves, that's not the case. It's you're looking at, well, why did that happen? And there is something underneath there that's that's made you do that. Mm. Maybe you're not aware, but you're getting a particular result that you like. So, yeah, it's really it's really interesting. Everyone, everyone is different and it's just getting them to realise why they behave in that way and the fact that it benefits them. And in terms of those who it does work for and, mm-hmm. and the people it does change, I mean, listeners who hadn't heard about perpetrator programmes before, if you wanted them to sort of understand what they do, you know, are, are there any sort of common misconceptions that you just want to, to be able to address? How, how would you tell people? Common misconceptions? Maybe they think we're on their side. We're on the side of the abuser. And we're absolutely not. Our main focus is actually 
victim and children's safety. And sometimes even the clients, they say, oh, Lorraine, I'm so glad you're on my side. And I'm like, well, no, hang on a second. It's not about sides. This is about you and change and protecting your children, the ex-partner, current partner, family member, and making sure that you move forward in a positive way. So I think that's a, that's a misconception, I would say, that we're on their side and we're not really thinking of the victim, but we, we really are. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, feature writer for The Sunday Times, Rosie Kinchin, and case manager for Drive, Lorraine. You can read more of Rosie's work at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription or in print on Sundays. If you've been affected by any of the issues in this episode, you can contact the National Domestic Abuse Helpline at 0808 2000 247. That's 0808 2000 247. The producer today was Asia Fuchs. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by David Crackles. If there's a story you'd like us to look into, if you have any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then do drop us a line to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.